0: Bienvenidos, bitches. Welcome to Fruit Loops, episode 128. eight. B T Binafi for all my Gryfano listeners out there. And thank you for listening. <laughs> 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 now, Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that we don't hear much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight, cis, White dudes. What? No, There are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color, and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that the media and entertainment come to leave out because the news is racist. Our website is fruitloopspod.com, and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all our social media. The footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. Plus, check it out for
1: the different ways that you can support the show. So are we talking about today, Beth? Today we're talking about John Floyd Thomas Jr., an Mm. American serial killer convicted of the murders of seven women in the Los Angeles area during the 70s and 80s. He is also suspected of committing many, many more.
0: Seven murders? Santa Maria! (laughs) That's a
1: lot of murders. Uh, But, before we get into it, how you doing? I'm doing good. So, uh, this past weekend was the 4th of July. Hell yeah. uh, Yeah, so um, I got to spend some time with my good friends that live down the street. We went in the pool. We watched the fireworks from their backyard. Everybody was shooting off fireworks everywhere. So we
0: just sat in the pool and
1: watched the fireworks. (laughs) So that was pretty cool. Cool.
0: Good for you. Was your dog cool with the fireworks? Um, Yeah, he he was all
1: right. Um, Uh The day before, on Saturday, there was a lot of fireworks going on, too. And uh, he was fine as long as he was in the house. Mm -hmm. But uh, when I let him out to go potty, then he he started barking. Mm. (laughs) It was like, what the hell's going on out here? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, I I saw a statistic that um, July is when most, like, the numbers of dogs lost is Aww. like highest of any other time of wow. year because they I think they freak out because of yeah. the fireworks. Yeah. Um but uh yeah we uh had a nice 4th of July. <laughs> uh it was a nice long weekend. And yeah. I, I ended Friday like, oh, it was such a good day. I woke up that morning. Uh, I was singing summer madness all morning. <laughs> and there's this part of the song where it goes, And I kept doing that. And then my dog started singing along with me (laughs) it was amazing (laughs) yeah and then i accidentally slammed his tail in the laundry room door Uh and then uh the day just went down he's okay i mean um it was just the tip, right? And so it was a little bloody. So we, you know, cleaned it up. We've been wrapping it and you know disinfecting it. And he's he's fine. Um, it just it was so like scary because yeah. he's a newer dog, right? And I've never been afraid of dogs. I've never been afraid of pit bulls or bully dogs. But he he wasn't. He was so su- surprised about his tail getting fucked yeah, up. Yeah, I would be that too. <laughs> he was pissed. Uh, yeah, and uh, so I was like. Oh my god! I don't know if I could. I don't know if I could do this anymore. But um, he's fine now. And good, good. Yeah. So everybody's happy. Anyway, uh, well, <laughs> glad everybody's doing all right. Hope y'all <laughs> listening are okay. Yeah. We're gonna dive into some listener letters, but boy, oh boy! Hang on a second.
1: Hello, angels. What is
0: in the bag,
1: Beth? Uh, well, we got a uh, we got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> We got nothing. <laughs> there's, you know, there's there's no there's no letters. Maybe uh, no, no letters, but I no. wanted to say thank you to to Kyra T for your five star review. Oh, so sweet, so yeah. kind.
0: Hip hop air horns. Thank you so much because those really do. That was a uh, hip hop air horn for All you, right. to Kyra, Um because those really do help the show. They do. Um yeah. even though people some like podcast ogs are like they don't really matter, <laughs> but they do. Yeah, So they do. anyway, um, so we are so grateful and um, we don't have any new patrons this week. So I'm not going to tire you with any true crime tunes. <laughs> um, but we do want to say thank you just real quick to everybody who's been supporting our show. Yeah. Um, and people who are new to us. We're just um, happy that you're here. So yeah, thank our horns you. To everybody listening. Thank you. And yes. So we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to get into the story when we come
1: back. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour a day? Hmm. Spend more time with your kids, go to the Hmm. gym, Hmm. work on a hobby?
0: Take a nap? (laughs) Can you do all those things in 60 minutes? Just kidding. (laughs) You know, a lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But what we do with that time, we don't always know. But the best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what it is. And therapy can help you figure that out. Find what matters to you most and make it a priority so that you can find the time to do more of it.
1: Yeah. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for everyone. Mm -hmm. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. And I've been in and out of therapy most of my life, Same, and it has had such a positive influence on my life that I honestly do not know who I would be without therapy. And I don't want to know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't want to know either. <laughs> Listen, Bev and I have both used BetterHelp. Yeah. And we love it. And if you are thinking of starting therapy, you should give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely
1: online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can also switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp.
0: Visit BetterHelp.com fruit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.
1: H-E-L-P dot com slash fruit.
0: though, in
1: therapy, which is so helpful for me so I can manage, deal, and get through it. Stress shows up in all kinds of ways and in a world that's telling you to do more, sleep less, and grind all the time. Here's your reminder to take care of yourself, do less, and maybe try some therapy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live
0: chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to.
1: It's more affordable than in-person therapy. Give it a try and see if online therapy can help lower your stress. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color. Listeners get 10% off their first
0: month at BetterHelp.com fruit. That's betterhel dot fruit. on level 304. Beth, tell him about the
1: offline play. Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> there is offline play, so you don't even need Wi-Fi or the internet. Oh, good. So download your new favorite getaway, Best Fiends, for free today on the App Store or Google Play. You'll even get $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level five. That's friends without the R Best
0: Fiends. So we are back. Remind us, Beth, who is our subject today?
1: Our subject today is John Floyd Thomas Jr., a black serial killer living in the L.A. area during the 70s and 80s. He targeted middle-aged and elderly women who lived alone.
0: The seventies and eighties—it just—it was like a heyday for, for serial killers. killers, yeah, right. And in it LA was.
1: too, no, yeah, um, it was like a, it was a party woo! for serial killers. And you get a serial killer, and yeah, a serial
0: killer, <laughs> everybody gets a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> so now <laughs> we are going to get into some uh, stats. to Help us tell the story, but. <laughs> <I know. laughs> So, uh, John Floyd Thomas Jr. was born in Los Angeles on July 26th in 1936. I believe that makes him a cancer. Um, Cancer on society, am I right? Um, So... (laughs) He has several AKAs, AKA the West Side Rapist, AKA the South Land Strangler, not to be confused with the South Side Strangler, which we have done an episode on. Right. Uh, South Land Strangler, AKA Willie Eugene Wilson, and AKA the most prolific serial killer in Los Angeles. And a little AKA I made up, the killer claims adjuster. Oh no.
1: (laughs) Watch out, everybody. (laughs) Watch
0: out. (laughs) Uh, So uh, his his victim, Victims were uh, Rest in Power Queens. Uh, Cora Perry was 79. Maybelle Hudson was 80. Ethel Sokoloff was 68 years old. Elizabeth McCune was 67. Uh, Miriam McKinley, 65. Evelyn Bunner, 56. And Adrian Askew was also 56. Uh, The the seven known victims were older, lower-income white women. Their bodies were found with pillows and blankets over their faces. Um, And he would break into the homes of women who lived alone. He'd rape them and strangle them until they passed out or died. Uh, he is believed to have over 30 rape and murder victims. The span of his crimes date back to the 1950s and November 1972 to June 1986. He was in jail from 1978 to 1983. And there were no, well, no crimes that he committed at that right. point. Right. There, there were was a definitely pretty high, crimes. There were definitely some <laughs> crimes. And that was America's crime heyday. <laughs> uh, and uh, he was arrested in March of 2009 at the age of 72. And his crimes coincided with those of the Grim Sleeper. And he was sentenced to seven consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole. So now let's get into the setting. Take us there, Beth.
1: The setting is Los Angeles, California. The Chumash, who are believed to have arrived in the Los Angeles area about 3,000 years ago, mostly lived in parts of Ventura and Santa Barbara counties, but ranged into the Malibu area of Los Angeles County. The Chumash spent much of their time building small boats and fishing and were accomplished fishermen and artisans. And you know what I always think of when... uh, They say Chumash.
0: What? What do you think of? Buffy the
1: Vampire Slayer. How come? (laughs) Because Xander got cursed with a Chumash... Oh, by really? the chumash yeah you got syphilis oh my god you don't remember
0: that no you know what and this is you have brought up numerous <laughs> buffy the vampire <laughs> slayer references but, like in the past month have you been re-watching it i i have
1: yeah oh, but, okay <laughs> but i remember this the chumash thing <laughs>
0: yeah. okay got you got you okay okay no it's been a while uh but I'm. I do. I would like to go back and 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 refresh
1: it because, again. yeah,
0: man, your references. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like, this is what it must feel like when I'm talking about like hip hop, right? Or you're, you're like, what? It's just like, what? What is? <laughs> okay, yeah, sure, okay. <laughs> uh, so I've so,
1: watched uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer like four times through. Shut yeah. up! <laughs> wow. And then, do you follow it up with Angel? Yeah, actually, right now I'm watching both.
0: Oh, okay. Back, back and forth. <laughs> yeah. Mama's got a full plate of um, programming. Okay. <laughs>
1: yeah. But every time I go through it again, there's stuff that I forgot. So, ah.
0: but I wait,
1: I wait for years before I rewatch it, you know. Okay. Okay.
0: <laughs> um, I don't know. Fruit, right. Loops, Fruit Loops, Froot Loops, <laughs> uh, Buffy watch party. Let's yeah. do it. <laughs> but so, back to the story. Back to the story. Yeah. Yeah. So the Gabrieleno. Are believed to have arrived in Los Angeles in the area from the Mojave Desert more than 2,000 years ago. There were an estimated 5,000 to 10,000 Gabrieleno living in the region when the first Spanish settlers arrived. The Gabrieleno. Good
1: job, gringo. <laughs> the gabrieleno communities and culture went into rapid decline after the spanish established the mission san gabriel in 1771 the Gabrielene, gabrieleno uh-huh. were uh-huh. increasingly convinced lured, or even forced into joining the mission and upon becoming converts pressed into abandoning their native village culture religion and language surprise yeah surprise well, um i so i grew up in california
0: and one thing that they require every californian child elementary school kid to do is visit the missions right um, Yeah, and uh the way they talked about them when we were kids was oh they they saved all these indigenous people they were they, so beneficial yeah, yeah they brought yeah. them christianity but then they also i also remember seeing the graves of children oh wow and that's the part that stuck out to me and huh. like no, learning a little bit more of the story as an adult i'm like oh it was some fuck yeah, that's, shit. Yeah, that's
1: bullshit. Yeah. Uh, so,
0: and here's why. Diseases introduced by the Spanish also took a toll, killing at least half the native population. By the time the first American settlers arrived in the Los Angeles area in 1841, their surviving Gabrieleno were scattered and working at subsistence level
1: on Mexican ranches, and virtually all of the original villages had disappeared Jesus. It was the same with the Chumash. When the first Spanish missionaries arrived, there were believed to be as many as 22,000 Chumash. However, their population, communities, and culture rapidly disappeared after the arrival of the Europeans. By 1906, there were only 42 <gasps> known survivors. Oh, my God. Yeah.
0: What a decline. That's They were a decimated. God. Yeah. God Damn, colonization really sucks. (laughs) Did we ever mention that before? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You know what? You heard it here, folks. Uh, (laughs) This has been Extra Extra with Beth and Wendy. (laughs) So uh, Los Angeles, California, was founded in 1781 by a group of 44 Mexican settlers, and 26 of them were of African descent. (laughs) Pío de Jesús Pico, who was of both African and American descent, was one of the first governors of the area that is known as the city of Los Angeles.
1: In 1872, the first African Methodist Episcopal Church was established in Los Angeles when emancipated Black people began moving to the city in significant numbers towards the end of the Civil War. Mm. By the turn of the 20th century, Los Angeles was a vibrant, multi-ethnic environment with a population of 102,000, of which 3,100 were Black.
0: By the way, First AME is still in Los Angeles. Oh, is there really? Me and Old Whitey have been there. Yeah, I grew up in the AME church, so every time we go to a new town and I'm like oh, I'll check it out. Check it out. Um yeah, um but uh yeah, uh I guess a very historic uh yeah. place. So locations in Central like Central Avenue became the focal point for black communities. Central Avenue was home to a vibrant jazz scene that attracted such greats as Louis Armstrong, Duke Ellington, Count Basie and ooh,
1: Bessie Smith. Love it. Yeah, you love to see it. The Dunbar Hotel on Central Avenue, originally known as the Hotel Somerville, was completely financed and built solely by black people. Known as one of the finest black owned hotels in the nation, it would often host major events such as the NAACP National Conventions. They didn't, nobody burned it down? No. (laughs) Nobody blew it up? Not that I know of. (laughs) Whoa!
0: Look at that. Uh, So in the 1920s, Paul Revere Williams, a famous Black architect credited for shaping Los Angeles, began designing homes and commercial buildings throughout the cities. But despite this, Paul Revere Williams was forbidden to live in many of the neighborhoods where he designed homes. What?
1: This was because of racially restrictive covenants, which were contracts placed in the deeds of homes by white property owners or developers that barred purchasers from selling or renting to specific marginalized and underrepresented groups.
0: LA's racially restrictive covenants prevented these people from renting and buying property in certain areas, even after the courts made it illegal to do so in 1948 and the Civil Rights Act of 1964. In some cases, real estate brokers' licenses could be revoked for integrating a neighborhood. And the Federal Housing Administration, the FHA, flatly denied loans in areas not covered by covenants as a matter of policy. By the way, they still do that. Exclude African Americans from uh, loans.
1: So as As a result, L.A. was geographically divided by ethnicity. By the 1940s, 95 percent of L.A. and Southern California housing was off limits to certain underrepresented groups. Restrictions were not limited to black people. They also included Asians and Mexicans, as well as Native Americans. Marginalized people who served in World War II or worked in L.A. defense industries returned to the city to even more discrimination in housing. Yeah,
0: and also were often not allowed to take advantage. advantage of the GI Bill, which many World War II veterans, white ones, were able to do and use to buy homes.
1: Yeah, that's how my dad went to college. Yes, and go to school. Um,
0: Just uh, welcome to Culture Corner. I don't know if you've noticed, but Beth and I have been using words like marginalized, underrepresented, instead of the word minority. Uh, It's a word we try to stay away from if we can. So just wanted to point that out. Uh, so they were excluded from the suburbs, these marginalized and underrepresented folks, mostly black people, and restricted to East or South LA, which included Watts and Compton. Uh, before then, Compton was actually all white. And these real estate practices then and now severely restrict educational and economic opportunities available to underrepresented and marginalized groups.
1: John Floyd Thomas Jr. was born during the Jim Crow era. Jim Crow was the name of the the racial caste system, which operated primarily, but not exclusively, in southern and border states for almost 100 years, between 1877 through the late 60s.
0: Our- arguably even beyond. And you know how they're talking about Jim Crow 2.0 with these new voting restrictive laws that that they've got coming up? So Jim Crow was more than just a series of rigid anti-Black laws. It was a way of life which legitimized racism. Under Jim Crow, Black people were relegated to the status of second-class citizens, and all major societal institutions reflected and supported the oppression of Black people. I mean, Black people and white people couldn't play checkers together. They couldn't get married. If a white white person was walking on the sidewalk a black person had to get off black people couldn't look at white people in the eyes yeah they
1: had all these ridiculous rules yeah. yes yes <laughs> they were it's yeah. fucking ridiculous yeah, yeah. <laughs> because of jim crow and the resulting economic circumstances for black people plus racial terrorism many black folks fled the south for the north during the great migration which took place between 1910 to 1930 during the second great migration which took place between 1940 to 1970, 70, Black people headed to the Northeast, Midwest, and the West. The Los Angeles demographics were already
0: changing due to immigration from the Philippines, Mexico, Japan, Korea, and Southern and Eastern Europe. And we've all heard of the federal government's internment of Japanese Americans. Yeah. Right. And in uh, Los Angeles, about 70,000 Japanese Americans were interned. And because of this, this, it created sort of a void that led to the migration of Black residents into the city during that second Great Migration.
1: Suburbs fighting integration often became sites of significant racial violence. White people resorted to bombing, firing into, and burning crosses on the lawns of Black family homes in areas south of Slauson Avenue. White gangs in Southgate and Huntington Park confronted Black people who had the audacity to travel in their area that is really scary can you imagine coming home and there's like a giant flaming cross yeah a bunch of people yeah just confronting you and yeah yeah, awful you're
0: just trying to mind your beeswax yeah um fuck you guys (laughs) hey get out of here um by the way where do you buy giant crosses like, I think you to have to fire. make
1: them. Oh, I, don't, okay. I don't think there's a Burning Cross store anywhere. No, you can't get get them at Costco. No. Uh, not that I've seen. Okay. okay. Well do you, uh, do you remember that uh, old skit that um Eddie Murphy did where he dresses up like a white person?
0: Uh yes. That was so That's so funny. A classic. That is a classic So
1: uh even even when I go into Costco I don't see Burning Crosses on sale. <laughs> In the in the back area where all the white people go. Oh! <laughs> Just kidding.
0: That's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, so Black folks soon overcrowded the South Central area of Los Angeles, where they were essentially boxed in. And by the 1970s, the area's density, shortage of manufacturing jobs and uh, increased crime branded the Black communities as one large, notorious, violent enclave. But again, crime is a symptom of poverty. So, right, right. to win an exclusive merchandise package from evergreen podcasts head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so we can't thank you enough for the support now back to the show have you ever wondered about things that like go bump in the night or objects in the sky or other things you just couldn't explain then join me jim mallard on my podcast the matter report Each week, you'll find engaging conversations with guests who are authors, historians, and scholars who lend their expertise as we discuss current events and venture into the fringe and paranormal. The Mauer Report hits controversies head-on, yet remains conversational, and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any other major podcast platform. Get ready for your starring role in a thrilling adventure full of hidden clues, immersive scenes, danger, and romance.
1: That's right, it's June's Journey, and you play June Parker, an amateur detective investigating a series of mysteries. Ooh, you'll put your powers of observation to the test, sharpen your sleuthing skills, find objects, and claim rewards. The visuals are fire. It's like a party for your eyeballs. (laughs) As you play this thrilling adventure full of hidden clues, immersive scenes with danger and romance in full force.
0: Whether you're craving a good mystery or just need to get away for
1: a while, June's Journey is the perfect game for you. It really is a sweet escape. I like to play when I need a mental pick-me-up. There is a detective in all of us.
0: Find your inner detective. download Juden's journey free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. Now we are going to get into the killer's early life. Boy,
1: oh boy, have we got a juicy one for you) <laughs> Here we go. Get ready. Buckle your (laughs) seatbelts. John Floyd Thomas Jr. was born in Los Angeles on July 26, 1936. His mother died when he was 12 years old, and he was then raised by his aunt and a godmother. Unfortunately, that's the extent of our knowledge about his early life.
0: Feel free to speculate about why he ended up being so (laughs) fucked up. Uh, So now we're going to get into the timeline. So in 1956, Thomas joined the U.S. Air Force while stationed at Nellis Air Force Base in Nevada, a superior noted that Thomas was regularly late and slovenly in appearance, um... I'm guessing that's like sloppy.
1: Yeah. Sloppy. Yeah. He, okay. he probably just, you know, I, I talked about how I was in the civil air patrol before. That's right. I yeah. would always get in trouble for like my uh, uniform wasn't ironed. Right. I didn't use enough starch or my shoes Whoa. weren't shined enough. Always. Whoa. Always. So I imagine that's probably what was going on. He just wasn't, oh. wasn't able to he wasn't uh, perfect. Yeah. He wasn't hmm. able to be perfect. Yeah. Oh,
0: okay. So <laughs> <laughs> according to his military. Military records, he received
1: a dishonorable discharge. And my understanding is that he was in the Air Force for less than a year. The following year, in March of 1957, Thomas raped a woman in South Los Angeles. Five days later, he attempted to rape another woman. Then in June of 1957, he attempted yet another rape when he climbed into an elderly woman's bed and ordered her to be quiet. But was shot by the woman's son in law after she screamed for help.
0: Wow. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Un aplauso. So though injured, Thomas made it back to his nearby apartment where his wife promptly called an ambulance. They later divorced. (laughs) Uh, His suspicious wound led to his arrest for attempted rape. A plea deal was offered by the Los Angeles County prosecutor, and Thomas was convicted only of burglary. He was sentenced to six years in the California state prison system, and when he was released, two parole violations sent him back to prison until 1966. I'm going back to prison, prison, (laughs) prison.
1: I'm going back to prison. I don't think so. (laughs) After Thomas was released from prison in 1966, a wave of rapes and murders began to plague the west side of the city of Los Angeles within a 20-mile radius. The perp was dubbed the West Side Rapist, and he attacked older white ladies in their homes in neighborhoods from Hollywood in the north to Englewood in the south.
0: Long Beach, (laughs) Englewood. So victims ranged in age from the 50s to the 90s. Wow. Yeah. L.A. journalist. So vulnerable, right? Um, L.A. journalist Bella Stumbo wrote in December of 1975 that the serenity of the neighborhoods where the victims lived, quote, had been so grotesquely invaded by that elusive maniac now accused of sexually assaulting at least 33 old women and murdering perhaps 10 of them. That residents lived in small colonies of terror, unquote. Whoa, wow! get this woman a, a Peabody or a yeah. Pulitzer. She, the way she uses those words yeah, really, really brings you into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: The killer would break into the victim's homes at night, then rape and choke them until they passed out or died. Before he left, he would cover their faces with pillows, blankets and or clothing. We'll be going over the crimes that Thomas was convicted of, but he is suspected of many more. During this time, a total of 17 women were killed and found with pillows or blankets over their faces. The crimes led to the formation of a special police task force in the mid 1970s.
0: But oh boy, oh boy, they must have been so busy (laughs) because it was so much. Yeah, it was was
1: nuts during this time.
0: Yeah. So in November of 1972, Ethel Sokoloff, 68, was murdered at her home in the Mid-Wilshire area of Los Angeles. Ethel, a retired school administrator, was found semi-nude and dead inside the trunk of her car two blocks from her apartment. The motive of the murder appeared to have been of a sexual nature.
1: Cora Perry, a 79-year-old Lennox resident, was widowed and had been for so long, she'd lived alone for almost half her life. She was spunky and independent and looked young for her age. She was very social and still drove around town going to different club meetings every week. She'd been a travel agent in Beverly Hills and was an avid traveler and photographer.
0: Oh, sounds lovely. So on September 20th, 1975, Cora Perry was murdered. Murdered. Her body was discovered by her neighbors and landlords, a husband and wife who became concerned when Cora did not bring in the morning paper. It was something she habitually did every morning before nine a.m. so she could read it with her morning coffee.
1: Her body was found by her neighbors lying on her bed, covered up with pillows and clothes, with only her feet sticking out. Her face had been covered up with a shower cap. The husband and wife who found her were so traumatized, particularly the husband. He actually had to be hospitalized for a time wow and they moved away shortly afterwards
0: see that's interesting um it's just an interesting point because uh people don't talk about the trauma
1: that people folks might suffer who find a friend body yeah Yeah, find
0: a friend yes who's Um, who's
1: been murdered yeah yeah i can only imagine how i can literally only imagine right how awful that must be
0: Mm mm-hmm So in April 1976, retired schoolteacher Maybelle Hudson was attacked in her garage as she arrived home in Inglewood. Inglewood. The 80 year old woman was beaten, sexually assaulted and strangled to death.
1: Her great nephew, Bob Kissner, said of his aunt, quote, Hudson was just the sweetest thing you'd ever want to see. A schoolteacher, an old time schoolteacher, grew up with my grandmother in Sioux City, Iowa, always had wanted me to become a teacher, unquote.
0: Kissner became a cop instead joining the Long Beach Police Department
1: um, he, I was
0: going to say that the, the police departments in Los Angeles uh don't have the greatest reputation. But uh, this guy was a 20-year-old, 21-year-old rookie when his great-aunt was murdered. Over the years, he'd occasionally call his colleagues at the LAPD, even after he retired, asking about Maybell's case. The answer was always
1: the same. No arrests. Two months after Maybell Hudson was murdered in June of 1976, 65-year-old Miriam McKinley was also ambushed in her garage. She was also beaten, sexually assaulted, and strangled in her Inglewood home.
0: That October, 56-year-old Inglewood resident Evelyn Bunner suffered a similar fate. She was also attacked while either entering or exiting her garage, then beaten, sexually assaulted, and strangled to death.
1: In February of 1976, retired school administrator Elizabeth McCune, 67, returned home from an event at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. She was attacked after parking her car at her home and then was raped and strangled. Later that
0: evening, a witness saw someone driving McCune's car erratically near her home. Another witness heard a dragging noise coming from her apartment. It went on for 30 minutes. Wow. Neither Alerted police and was nine one one a thing?
1: No, not back okay. then. Okay. Um, I I think that was implemented in the late seventies, early eighties. After like Kitty that. Genovese, yeah, sometime after that, yeah. <laughs> so, um, back then you would call the operator, just dial zero. Yeah, you would dial zero and then tell them what you needed, and then they would uh, connect you. Oh, look at that! Okay. Yeah. Okay, I see. But they're they're you know they're not trained to uh, take those kinds of calls like nine one one operators are. So right. that's why the nine one one system is so so good. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you. Oh, gee, you're welcome. I just uh, this... I remember those days uh...
1: <laughs> <laughs> because my parents always told me you know if something happened to dial zero. Oh, really? Yep.
0: Oh wow! Okay, it sound. I mean, you you were so crisp in your delivery and so uh, confident that it was almost like you were reading a script. Nope, that was all from the dome. Amazing! How did she do it? How did she do it?
1: (laughs) So uh, Elizabeth McCune's body was found on February 18th, 1976, half naked in her 65 Chevelle, not far from her small apartment in a neighborhood between Fox Hills and Westchester. For homicide detective Larry Manchester, his very first case was that of Elizabeth McCune
0: way back in the 70s. Police rarely. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well, now we going to go way back. <laughs> uh, so back in the day in the 70s, police rarely worried about saving trace evidence. But after reading about a newfangled DNA science, <laughs> <laughs> Detective uh, Manchester made the decision to start collecting it. Influenced by the magazine article, Manchester insisted that the Los Angeles County autopsy technicians save as much trace evidence. Evidence found at the McKune crime scene as possible. He has been described as quirky, and I think everybody thought he was a big weirdo for wanting this, <laughs> but his foresight was later proven to be instrumental in solving the case. Yeah. Now, I don't usually do this, but... <laughs> This detective uh, for using DNA in the 70s? Yeah. um, That's
1: amazing. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. At the time of the murders, police realized that there was probably a serial killer on the loose, but they didn't have the technology to find him. The LAPD questioned several suspects, but Thomas was not among them. During this period, Thomas was employed as a, get this, social worker. Wow. Hospital employee and personal electronic salesman. Wow. That's a social yeah, work. That's social work. That's
0: incredible. Now, the attacks appeared to stop in 1978. Funnily enough, that year, Thomas was convicted and sentenced to state prison for the rape of an elderly woman, Mrs. Stellern. Uh, her first name has never been released. Now, during the brutal attack, Mrs. Stellern's ankle was forcibly broken.
1: The next morning, a neighbor said he had seen a black man park his car and walk around the neighborhood, entering and then leaving Mrs. Stellarn's apartment courtyard. The neighbor had a habit of writing down unfamiliar license plate numbers.
0: That is a very interesting habit. Yeah. Uh, The plate number (laughs) was registered to the then 41-year-old salesman, John Floyd Thomas Jr., who lived nearby. When police searched his car, they found dark clothing and a ski mask. And he
1: was charged with, yeah, Miss Stellar's rape. Even so, he got married.
0: (laughs) Whoa, okay. Uh, So he's being
1: charged with rape, but he got married to a woman named Colette Webb on April 5th, 1978. Um, oh, okay. And guess what? They later divorced. <laughs> Get out of here. You're you're kidding me. Nope. Shucking. <laughs> then then on August 17th, 1978, a jury convicted him of rape, burglary and mayhem mm-hmm. for viciously breaking Mrs. Stallone's ankle. And Thomas was sent to state prison.
0: Mayhem, huh? Okay. Mayhem. Um. By the way, you know what I was gonna say he got married, but we didn't have Google back then, right? Right. So he couldn't like his new bride couldn't, couldn't have like Google googled yeah. or found anything out about his background. Right. He was released in 1983, and Thomas then moved to Chino, where a new wave of rapes and killings began in the Pomona Valley area. This time, the perp was dubbed the Southland Strangler.
1: Over the next six years, Los Angeles County Sheriff's detectives would investigate five murders of older women in Claremont, which was majority white. During this time, Thomas worked in Pomona as a peer counselor at a hospital. A peer counselor.
0: I mean, yeah, the <laughs> the jobs. It was. I mean, was Jeffrey Dahmer ever a camp counselor no, or a teacher?
1: No, no, he He was a big failure. Okay.
0: <laughs> uh, what about Ted Bundy? Was Ted Bundy ever like a
1: counselor or therapist? Oh, yeah, or- actually, Ted Bundy, he worked at a suicide crisis line.
0: Oh! my god yeah (laughs) wow yeah okay so that's wow Uh, that's how
1: he met anne rule who wrote the book about him and became Uh a big true crime writer uh they worked together at this uh, suicide crisis line
0: wow we kazawi. so um so it's not unusual yeah well it <laughs> for is for a serial killer
1: i think it is unusual for a serial killer to function in society as well as this guy did thomas at this higher level yes, Right? yes yes okay, i mean he okay. had a career you know yeah
0: he had lots of them <laughs> 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 the killer claim rep uh <laughs> Um, So in 1983, police discovered the partially nude body of 85 year old Isabel Askew in a vineyard near Ontario International Airport east of Los Angeles. She had been reported missing from the Claremont apartment where she lived with her adult daughter more than a week earlier. She reportedly did not drive and had trouble getting around, so police did not know how she got from Claremont to Ontario.
1: Yeah, somebody took her there. Yeah. Her cause of death could not be determined because of the condition of her body, but investigators later suspected that she might also have been one of Thomas's victims. However, they were never able to prove a link.
0: That detective wasn't on the case to save the DNA. Yeah. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, almost three years later, her daughter, 56-year-old Adrienne Askew, was found strangled in the same West Bonita Avenue apartment where she lived with her mother. Three years later, yeah, she was found lying face up with bedding pulled over her head and she had been sexually assaulted.
1: Now, he, so he's returning to the scene of the crime. Right.
0: Which is... So brazen.
1: Yeah, fucked up. Uh Developmentally disabled, Adrienne was a retired school crossing guard and librarian's assistant. And her brother felt tremendous amounts of guilt for allowing his sister to live alone after their mother's death. And he unfortunately passed away before Thomas was cut.
0: In March of 1987, Thomas became a father to a baby boy. He and his girlfriend, the mother of his child, married in April 1989 and returned to Los Angeles, where Thomas started out in the
1: mailroom of the State Compensation Insurance Fund. Then the cycle of killing stopped. Hmm. Thomas later became an insurance adjuster handling workers' compensation claims at the State Compensation Insurance Fund. He also found religion. And after the advent of the internet, he would often email inspirational Bible passages to colleagues.
0: It just, his his switch just turned off? Just turned, yeah. Wow. Uh, people can change. Program- <laughs> <laughs> Co- co-workers at his office in glendale described thomas as quiet but friendly they said his job mostly involved paperwork according to co-worker earl ofari hutchison quote the man that we engaged with was always very pleasant very personable we never ever saw him lose his temper never he always had a pleasant smile always had a kind word
1: i knew thomas was quite a bit older than myself i used to ask him what was the secret to his youthful appearance he'd always laugh with that smile of his and essentially say, just good living. Oh, no,
0: (laughs) no, he did not say that. Okay.
1: (laughs) Another coworker described him as a quote unquote doll who loved his children. She said he was quote Really sweet. Everybody knew him, unquote. Wow. Now,
0: according to one co-worker, quote, he was always with women, a circle of female admirers, because he was so congenial. And he and his wife must have divorced because on July 1st, 1995, Thomas got married again. What's that for? Yep. This is the fourth one. Wow. That we this... know of. There could that be we... more. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Good point. This time to a woman named Carolyn Moret. So now we're going to get into the investigation and the arrest.
1: Hit it, Beth. In November of two thousand. the LAPD created the Cold Case Homicide Unit to reopen about 9,000 unsolved murders going back to 1960 using emerging state and federal DNA databases. As part of the review process, detectives screened the unsolved murder of Ethel Sokoloff. The Cold
0: Case Detectives' review of the case revealed that there was biological evidence within the victim's sexual assault evidence kit and that this evidence had never been analyzed for the presence of foreign DNA. And in 2002, Elizabeth McCune's murder case was reopened, which also contained biological evidence.
1: A male DNA profile was developed in each of these cases and was uploaded into California's CODIS databank. And in September 2004, a case-to-case DNA match was made, linking the male DNA profile from the Sokolov case to the male DNA profile identified in the McCune murder. Although the DNA profiles matched each other,
0: the name of the offender was not identified in the database. Over the next five years, detectives developed 14 suspects. One by one, though, their DNA ruled them
1: out. The state of California has required sex offenders to register since 1947, which was the year of the Black Dahlia murder case. And while investigating the Grim Sleeper murders in the fall of 2008, a special database search of L.A.'s 5,212 registered sex offenders was created.
0: The Grim Sleeper murders occurred between 1985 and 2007, with a 14-year break between 1988 to 2002 hence the name The Grim Sleeper because of the break. Now, the perp was eventually identified by a DNA to be a man by the name of Lonnie David Franklin Jr. But during this time, it was also revealed that there were multiple serial killers working the south side of Los Angeles. Another one was Chester Turner, who we covered in episode six.
1: Yep. It was determined that 1,500 sex offenders fit the rough description of The Grim Sleeper, a black man who would now be middle-aged or older. 92 of the 1,500 had never been cheek-swabbed for DNA, as was now required by law, and one of them was Thomas.
0: Mm. So per Detective Diane Webb, the woman who came up with the idea for the database search, quote, most people think registered sex offenders are under some formal supervision, unquote, but only about a quarter are under parole oversight or other direct supervision.
1: On October 22nd, 2008, Thomas reported to LAPD's Southwest Division to be tested for DNA as part of Webb's 92-man sweep. The meeting was uneventful, says Officer Robert Lanigan. Quote, it was pretty boring, really, unquote.
0: He had to have known it like the gig was up, right? Like Yeah, you would think so.
1: <laughs> I mean, by now Jurassic Park has come out. Everybody knows what DNA can <laughs> Everybody do. Everybody knows about he, DNA. Exactly. Yeah. The only thing I can think is maybe he thought they didn't have any DNA. I mean, they're looking for the Grim Sleeper, right? Oh, which was right. more recent. So mm-hmm, maybe mm-hmm. he's thinking there's there's no DNA from no all way. the way back then. From the 70s? Yeah. Get
0: out of here. Wow. Okay. no, according to uh, Lanigan's partner, Amber McDonald, quote, he probably would have been the last person we would have suspected. He looked professional and was very pleasant to deal with, unquote.
1: On March 27th, 2009, the California Department of Justice DNA Laboratory notified detectives that they had a DNA match in the evidence from the Sokoloff murder. The offender was identified as none other than John Floyd Thomas, Jr.
0: Whoa. Oh, okay
1: and uh, Thomas was 72 years old by then
0: he was 72 years
1: old yeah grief yeah uh- <laughs> He's so close to, like, the
0: end of life, right? (laughs) Like, he probably was thinking, man, I got away with it. Like, Whitey Bulger, right? Wasn't he, like, in his 80s when... Yeah, uh, yeah, when they busted him. Yeah, yeah, see? You see what happens when you do crimes. Uh, They never... (laughs) You you can't get away with nothing these days. Uh, So, a review of Thomas's criminal history revealed that he was arrested a number of times between 1955 and 1978. His criminal convictions consisted of multiple burglaries, many of which involved sexual assaults of his victims. But other than an arrest for prostitution in 1993, Thomas did not have any other arrest records in the latter part of his life. So he must have been a John who
1: yeah, got arrested
0: yeah, right. with a sex worker. Right.
1: Okay. Within a day, undercover officers began surveillance on Thomas at his home in South Los Angeles. He was living just a few blocks from the original 1957 sexual attacks he'd committed. Mm. And on March 31st, 2009, investigators were told that Thomas's DNA matched a total of five murders. Whoa. Ah. Yeah, you love to see it. So he <laughs> he
0: was arrested later that day, and on April 2nd, he was charged with murder in connection with the deaths of Ethel Sokoloff and Elizabeth McCune. At the time, detectives described Thomas as one of the region's most prolific serial killers, saying that he remained a suspect in at least 10 to 15 additional slayings based on the dates of the crimes and his M.O. So now we're going to get into the trial. What do you got, Beth? Well, initially,
1: Thomas pleaded not guilty to the murders. But why? <laughs> <laughs> well, probably because that's just what you do at first. Okay, okay. <laughs> but on April 1st, 2011, after a plea deal was struck, Thomas pleaded guilty to the murders of Elizabeth McCune, Ethel Sukoloff, Cora Perry, Maybell Hudson, Miriam McKinley, Evelyn Bunner, and Adrian Eskew. Tracy Michaels, the great niece of Elizabeth McCune, who lived with her as a teenager, told the LA Times,
0: quote, he has been my worst nightmare for me the death penalty would have been too easy
1: unquote yeah i agree i always think the death penalty is too easy i always
0: you know i agree that it is but i'm gonna be honest with you i'm surprised more people don't like ask for it you oh, know just like, like
1: uh just kill me now yeah
0: just kill me now <laughs> i mean i i've i fucked up yeah you know, prison's not very fun uh i'm never gonna get out anyway so you know what yeah I, uh, just I just it's, it's a thought I've had and um I don't know why I'm like this. The Lord is still working <laughs> on me.
1: Elizabeth McKeon's great niece, Tracy Michaels, asked Los Angeles County Superior Court Judge George G. Lomelli to quote, remove any comfort from this man's life. Make the rest of his life feel like what he's made our lives feel like, unquote.
0: Mm. As part of the plea deal, the judge gave Thomas seven life sentences, one without the opportunity of parole. According to Deputy District Attorney Rachel Moser Green, the death penalty was not really relevant in this case because Thomas would probably die in prison during his appeals given his age. Quote, this provides certainty and finality for surviving family members who lived with this for so long, unquote.
1: Yeah, that's another good point because uh, whenever somebody who's been convicted of something gets the death penalty the family members of the victims have to go through the long drawn out process of appeals as well you know oh you so, forget about yeah, that yeah so if they get life without the opportunity of parole it's over done brush your hands you can walk away
0: oh wow you know you did it again og <laughs> i didn't know that thank yeah, you yeah yeah Wow.
1: Okay. Uh, Well, uh, now we're going to get into where are they now? Well, Thomas is turning 85 years old on the 26th of this month, July. Wow. Okay. And he's currently being housed at the California Department of Corrections Healthcare Facility in Stockton, California. So sounds like he's, he's, uh, his health is not great. great. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, Well, what can you know you do the crime yep. uh, you're gonna die yeah not not to,
1: uh, too sad about that <laughs>
0: no no not one not one bit uh how about rest and piss in advance john floyd uh, uh so now we're gonna get into what we think made him snap as well as our takeaways what are your thoughts beth i can't wait to hear
1: well this guy kind of reminds me of btk okay because btk committed horrific crimes but then later settled down and stopped killing mm-hmm. um but b t k as far as I know, was described by coworkers as sort of a asshole control freak.
0: <laughs> oh, okay, not pleasant. No,
1: like... and Thomas, on the other hand, was described as sweet and kind of beloved. It's yeah. weird, yeah. yeah. And Thomas, quote unquote, found religion later in life. And BTK was very in- involved in his church. Oh, I didn't know Yeah. And I, it occurs to me, and I always thought BTK uh, may have been hiding behind religion. Like, I'm a religious guy. I would never do something like that, you uh, know? Mm-hmm, Whereas mm-hmm. maybe Thomas used it to find forgiveness for his crimes. I don't know. Oh. It's just a thought that I had because of their different personality. That's deep. Yeah, That's how deep. they presented yeah. to mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. My understanding is that BTK stopped killing because he wanted to keep his family, and his wife was starting to get upset about his behaviors. Oh. Um, like he was away from home at weird hours, and mm-hmm. she caught him dressing up in women's clothes. And he oh, just—I saw that
0: in the movie Mind Hunter or right, the show. Right. That so he accurate, actually huh? did
1: that. Yeah. Okay. And so she caught him. Doing some weird things, and and uh, I think she was going to leave him, and he decided he made a conscious decision not to kill anymore or not Isn't to. It's not funny. Indulge in decision. these behaviors, yeah. N- no yeah. more Oreo no cookies, more. like that. Yeah. Like it's, that's it's, that's, it's that. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. I'm done.
0: That's it. I'm going to stop smoking. Like it's. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, that's what murder is for. Right. For these for guys. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. Okay. And, and maybe something similar happened with Thomas. He st- seemed to stop committing crimes after his son was born. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know, but uh, BTK uh, said he never stopped thinking of, and fantasizing about his crimes, oh. and I don't. know Know if that's the same for Thomas? He's not been as forthcoming as BTK, who runs off at the mouth and thrives on all the attention that he gets. So Does I don't he know now. Yeah, he you know loves what? the I, attention. I,
0: you know what? And I remember his daughter saying something about that at CrimeCon. Oh, did she? I thought she did. She and, may, and... she may have.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um. I wow. Read, though. I read her book, and I also oh. read other stuff about him. So yeah, mm-hmm. he's he's a narcissistic uh, kind of guy. He loves Hello. the attention. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but that's interesting john floyd does not seem
1: the like same a
0: nu- yeah right
1: yeah but he did stop killing and uh it, it seemed to be related to uh, and it, it also could have been because he he got that sweet job you know right yeah
0: <laughs> yeah we are moving we on up <laughs> doing claims
1: <laughs> for so- workers <laughs> compensation <laughs> In, the in LA, <laughs> so a lot of folks think it's impossible for serial killers to stop killing, and I've heard that over and over again. Yeah, and the, and they say that BTK was really unusual, and and I was actually one of those people that thought really? they couldn't stop. But we've come across several cases like this, we and have. I no longer think that it's that unusual. The Golden State Killer is another one who stopped right. killing later in life, and yes. Uh, One hypothesis is that they age out as they get older. Maybe they Uh are no longer as driven. Yeah. Maybe it's hormones. What is it? I don't know. You know, like
0: murder menopause. Right. Exactly.
1: They're like, yeah, you know, I just don't need that anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) But it happens. And we're learning more and more about these cases because of DNA, I think. because Yeah. That's how oh. the Golden State Killer was found. Yeah, that's how this guy was found. Uh-huh. That's how the Grim Sleeper was found. Uh-huh. You know, all uh-huh. of these, all of these guys, um, it, we would not have known about except for DNA. Yeah, you know what? That's why I love DNA so much. Oh my God. And unfortunately, we don't know enough about Thomas's early life to form a hypothesis about what may have caused him to become a serial rapist and murderer. Yeah. His mom did die when he was 12. Mm-hmm. And there's no mention of a father. So that was probably a factor. Yeah. He was raised by an aunt and a godmother. And who knows how he was treated. Mm-hmm. Um, he obviously had resentment towards white women. I don't mm-hmm. know if he chose what older white women because he was fixated on them or or if it was just because they are a vulnerable group of people.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: But it does make me wonder if his godmother was white. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. And
0: I, um, I recent, I, hello, season two of Signs of a Psychopath is back, you Oh, y'all. yeah, yeah. And, um, they were, t- they were talking about a serial killer who when he was about twelve, he was masturbating and was severely punished for mm-hmm. it. And the combination of that sex, that sexual experience, and the severe the punishment, yeah. yeah, fucked him up. So yeah. He, yeah. he turned into a rapist murderer. And so I wonder if, like, something if like that happened. Something yeah. like that might have happened to right. this guy because right. he definitely had a type. Yes, um, and he definitely raped. A lot. Uh, a lot a lot yeah uh, and uh, I, I was gonna read a quote there was a criminal profiler named uh, Pat Brown uh, said that John Floyd Thomas was not psychotic he was a psychopath which explained why he was able to do these crimes and do re mi fa sola ti ki ki around life as a regular schmegular <laughs>
1: person uh, yeah that's that's <laughs> always like baffles me like how, how? yeah I know yeah. I I I, Oh, man. Yeah. Different breed.
0: Um, And uh, I was gonna say it was um, just this time period in the United States was wild. Yeah. The amount of serial killers who were around. And um, I also thought of this black man who was raping all these white women as like America's worst nightmare. Yeah, Even though it was a little bit before this was in the 80s. Um, and it made me think of the Willie Horton ad. Um, oh, right, right. That? Yep. Yeah. Clinton. yeah. Yeah. And, um, even though it was uh, the Willie Horton ad, I think it was in 88 and he stopped killing and, and raping in 86. It just made me think that, that um, sort of, uh, yeah, that's, that's the climate right, that I right. think the, um, the country was. was in. It was. Yeah. yeah, yeah I yeah.
1: remember. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, and that's all I got. Um, this guy is, uh what did i say at the beginning uh anyway basura (laughs) hi vanessa hi amy and hi hi, true true crime crime fans. fans We're the co-hosts of She Goes by Jane. Every week, we'll be covering the story of a missing or unidentified woman
1: in the United States.
0: Stories you may have heard before. And ones whose stories didn't make it into the news. We've been covering these stories for a while. First in Amy's book of poetry, Doe.
1: And then in Vanessa's documentary, She.
0: But now we want to share them with you here on She Goes by Jane. And each week, we'll be joined by a special guest who will read a poem in honor of the women we talk about. Can we say who? We can say who. We'll be joined by actresses like Coco Jones and Gabrielle Ruiz. And musicians like Stephanie Quayle and Kelly Moneymaker, along with authors like Louise Penny and Catherine McKenzie. So check out She Goes by Jane wherever you get your podcasts or check out Evergreen Podcasts and their true crime channel, Killer Podcasts. We can't wait to bring you these stories. So uh, now we're going to get into how not to get murdered. So if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you.
1: This segment is not intended to be victim-blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences.
0: Mm. What do you have for us today, Beth?
1: Well, uh, these are some tips from a booklet produced by the Escondido Police Department called Personal Safety Tips for Older Adults. Okay. I'm just going to read a few of them because there's, there's a lot of them. And so we'll, we'll link to it in our show notes. But okay. here's a few. Make sure your house is secure. Always mm-hmm. secure outside doors, sliding glass doors, and windows. Okay. Install easy-to-use deadbolt locks. Okay. Keep garage and basement doors locked at all times. Don't mm-hmm. leave your windows open at night. Instead, use floor or ceiling fans for air circulation.
0: Uh, Even in the summer? Yeah,
1: even in the summer. (laughs) I don't want to get murdered. I'm listening. (laughs) I have this fantastic fan by my bed. It's like a a tower fan.
0: Oh, Costco style?
1: Yeah, it keeps Ah. me so cold at night. I love it. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: I I <laughs> shared a room with Beth at CrimeCon, and she was trying to kill me with the freezing <laughs> temperatures
1: in the room. <laughs> oh, I love it. So <laughs> you like it really cold? Real cold. When it, when, yep. Yeah, I get it. Yep. I get it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Here comes your next tip. You ready? Okay. Yep. Don't attach an ID tag to your key ring. Like with your name? Yeah, just in case you lose them.
0: But if you lose them, then people can find you and say, here are your keys. Right.
1: But they can also go to your house and open your door. And kill you. (laughs) kill you. Yeah. Right. Okay. (laughs) Thank you. That makes sense if other people such as previous tenants could still have keys that fit change the locks also install new locks if you move to a new home or lose your key don't give keys to workmen as they can easily make copies oh. same if you get your car fixed and you have to leave your car keys with the mechanics only leave them your car keys and keep your house keys to yourself
0: Oh, you think they would? Oh my God! If it was, I mean, um, if, probably
1: if, it'd be fine. But you, you know, you never know. You get these, that one weirdo. Oh yeah. My God. Wow. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Noted. <laughs> when you're away from home, leave on some lights in the radio or the TV so it looks like someone is at home, just so you don't get burglarized hmm. Draw the curtains and blinds at night so people can't watch you from the outside, which is super creepy. Uh huh.
0: Uh huh. <laughs> Truman Show.
1: <laughs> Make friends with your neighbors or at least know your neighbors so you can watch out for each other and report suspicious activity to the police department. Right. Okay. Never okay. open the door to strangers or let them know that you're home alone. Ask service people for an ID before you open the door. If someone asks to use your phone, make the call for them. Never let oh. a stranger into your home. And my last tip is consider getting a dog. Oh fuck yes!
0: By the way, that <laughs> that if somebody is knocking on your door to use, that's the beginning of so many horror movies Stories. or suspense. Yeah. 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 Right. Yep. Um, that's a good one. So you make the call for it. Yeah.
1: This. You tell him. who do you need me to call? 911. Okay. Yeah. I'm calling mm-hmm. right now.
0: Well, thank you so much. I feel safer already. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So now we're going to get into the shout out portion of our show where we shout out any content by any marginalized or other groups, other underrepresented groups um, or any true crime goodies. So I've got both, but I just wanted to shout out Signs of a Psychopath, which I already did because boy, oh boy, (laughs) I love that show. Yeah, that's a great show. so fascinating. I don't even know what network it's on.
1: Is it ID? I watched it. So let me, me I want to say it's on discovery. Plus
0: signs of a psychopath prime. It might be on prime. Okay. See signs of a psychopath on prime. That's where I watched it. So, and then um, also summer of soul. Uh, It is on Hulu. Oh, I saw the ad for that. It looks good. It is amazing. There was a whole ass black Woodstock wow that nobody ta- has talked, talked about, about for 50 years Whoa.
1: okay i'm definitely gonna have to it's watch that so yeah.
0: good stevie wonder was playing the drums Oh my god! i had no idea he could do that it, <laughs> nina simone was there it was amazing it's wow. just a really good celebration of um music by right. black people by, by black people so uh, very cool. man, check it out what do you got
1: um so i wanted to shout out aj and the queen on netflix Oh, cool okay so uh it, it stars rupaul which uh-huh. who i love yes and he, he plays a gay man who does drag for a living and drives around the country in an rv going from show to show and Ooh, he winds huh. up taking care of a kid named aj who is wise beyond years due to let's say uh poor parenting oh okay and the two of them together are really cute mm-hmm. it's funny and sad and uplifting plus they're drag shows so <laughs> yes
0: <laughs> yes <hand day. laughs>
1: and unfortunately i'm late to the game it came out over a year ago i just didn't know about it mm-hmm. um and it's not being renewed for a second season which no! is a shame i know
0: oh that you know what that is uh that is a shame yeah. well okay so it's on netflix yes and uh i can't wait to check it out
1: yes what else you got and while we're here, I also watched Dragging the Classics, The Brady Bunch on Paramount Plus. <laughs> Wait, what's that? Okay, so they recreate one episode of the 70s sitcom The Brady Bunch and they okay. they recreate it word word for word, like they they do the entire script. Okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> and it stars drag queens from rupaul's drag race
0: no oh my god i cannot are you serious this
1: is amazing it's so fun (laughs) bianca del rio plays carol brady Uh uh-huh candy muse plays cindy Nina West plays Alice the maid, and they got a lot of the original Brady's in on the act too. And um, really, yeah, Mike Lookinland who played Bobby Brady, he Uh again plays Bobby who's supposed to be like eight or something, but he's (laughs) sixty and he has a beard. (laughs) It's so good. I mean, it's I loved it. Oh my (laughs) god, it's it's weird, but I love it.
0: (laughs) I I don't even. How did you even come
1: across that? I I don't know. I, I I don't know. I. Just did. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. And be sure to stick around for the end credits to see some bloopers.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, that sounds like fun. So, uh, real quick, again, that's Summer of Soul on Hulu, Signs of a Psychopath on Amazon Prime and AJ and the Queen on Netflix as well as dragging the classics The Brady Bunch on Paramount. Oh my God, I can't wait for that one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, um, this has been fun but we have to go. So in the meantime, where can the people find us, Beth?
1: Our website is FruitLoopsPod.com Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod and our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And Links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash app. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash app, or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. And as always, we have merch for sale on our website.
0: That is very true. And this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there.